Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. So much of success and leadership is about preparing for, executing, and driving change. Whether changing our attitude, our direction, or our goals, we are all experiencing change constantly. The world's evolving. It's changing right now at a rate that is unprecedented. It gets faster and faster. Technology, artificial intelligence, everything is just moving at a speed that we have never seen before. Some great quotes on change I've collected over the years. John F. Kennedy said, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are sure to miss the future, is a really great quote. And things do not change, we change, says Henry David Thoreau. A lot of people quote Henry David Thoreau, and then people will write me if he didn't actually say it. Viktor Frankl said, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves, writing from someone and from a place that really would be meaningful. Well, what are some ways to manage change? I have seven ways that I'm going to start with on managing change. The first is visualize the change. Visualization. It's using imagination power. And if you visualize change, you can actually visualize yourself and reduce fear. You can increase excitement and visualize the change as happening in an exciting way. I think it's important to visualize the change before it happens. The second thing you can do is plan the change. And this is really important, especially depending on your personality type. Some people really do well with contingency planning. What if the worst happens? They can develop a contingency in that way when and if anything happened that was even close to it, they feel more confident. Other people use scenario planning. This scenario could happen or this scenario. So I think that is really a good way to help manage change. The third way is look for the positive, And I would add, and write it down. You know, often when we're looking at change, when we're facing change, we think about the worst things. We think about the negative things. We think, well, we don't want to change. We want to keep it the way it is. And then change happens and we struggle. Well, look for the positive things that could happen from change and write it down. Now, some people will be more attuned to that personality-wise. They'll be thinking of exciting things and positivity and all the future things that could happen, whereas others would be saying, this is a disaster. This is horrible. I'm going to struggle with this. So it just depends on your personality. The next thing I would say, number four, is to take action versus processing and feeling. So oftentimes when change is coming, we we get stuck in our feelings. We get stuck in processing. We get stuck in just the emotional side of it. And oftentimes the way to reduce that anxiety, the way to maximize change and move forward, I have found is just take action. Take action in any way. And so if you find yourself ruminating and kind of stuck and you're just on a repeat in your head of what could happen and the change and it's awful and I don't like this or this person or this thing that's happening to me, instead I'm going to tune that out and I'm going to start taking small, tangible actions. Not a big thing, not massive thing, because that can have its own fear, but just take small steps. The next part of change is take care of your health. And I'm not talking just as a health guru. I'm talking about health is important when you're going through change. If you find yourself eating a bad diet, incredibly stressed, addicted to some drug, prescription or otherwise, 
you're not going to be able to manage change as effectively as you could as if you were meditating and exercising, eating a diet that had a good variety, fruits, vegetables, protein, et cetera. You're going to find that change really is also affected by your physical health. The sixth one is practice gratitude. And that's because your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Gratitude is a superpower. And if you want to manage change, if you practice gratitude, you will find it much easier to manage change. You're going through something very difficult. Compare yourself to somebody who's going through something even more difficult, somebody who's facing a war, somebody who's facing life battling stress or influence or illness. All of these things are a way to have perspective. But if you practice gratitude for the small things in your life, you will find that it is easier to manage change. And then the seventh is create the future. Create the future. That is so important. Mandy Hale said, change can be scary, but you know what's scarier? Allowing fear to stop you from growing, evolving, and progressing. It is really important to create the future. That means change doesn't just happen to you. Change happens, and what you do is going to depend on what you decide to do and the actions you take. Never feel like you're a victim. You can create the future. So as change happens, think, well, what could I do to make this work for me? How could I adjust? What could I learn? What could I do differently? Somebody says, well, change happened, and I ended up with a miserable boss and miserable colleagues, and my job's awful, and I hate every single thing about it. Well, you are not a tree. You are not deeply implanted into the soil, unable to move your roots. You can get up and walk away. It might be hard. It might not be easy to do. But you can create your future, whether that's job, whether that's a neighborhood, anything. I had one friend of mine. Actually, I knew both sides. And the neighbors were at war with each other. It was an awful situation. And they just escalated, escalated, escalated this war. It kind of became kind of comical. It could actually be a sitcom or movie with how much they were attacking each other in various ways. Guess what? Create the future. Put your house up for sale and move. It's not impossible. Don't burn down your neighbor's house. They didn't go there, but I think it was getting close. It did end up in court. It was really very, very ugly. So talking about all these things, talking about change and preparing for change and executing change and driving change, both individually and with your teams, I have an incredible panel back with us again, Chip Nilgis, who's an expert in business development and commercial relationships and strategy. Welcome, Chip. Thank you, Skip. Great to be here. We found that we didn't confuse people too much with the Chip Skip. And in fact, some of the very wise things you said must have been attributed to me, so we had to bring you back. <laughs> I just call myself the other Ip. The other Ip. Okay. And we have Drew Bordis, who is back again. Thank you. It is always great to be here. I love these. You're always here. I am. Do you live in this room? I, well, no. I mean, you know, under the table. Under the table. Yep. Okay. Well, welcome back, Drew, and his operations expertise. And we have Tammy Spade, who is an expert in peace. That's what we have learned. And it's not Ips, although maybe she is an expert in Ips. But purpose, place, I was going to throw in process. I wouldn't say process. Do you want to Can't be on process? Can't yeah, that be mine? Can something be mine? Could be Drew's. Does it yeah. all have to be Tammy's? And you know, put process it in a spreadsheet. is good. Do you want the peace too? You want the alliteration? Hippies. Hippies. Peace on earth. Yeah, you need, you need I don't know if, you, you, know, you have operations, so should you have O's? 
I don't know. I'm, I'm scared with you. This could be a whole turn into something horrible. This could be a whole podcast. If you would like to drop in the comments or write to us on what you think Drew should be, uh, that would be very helpful. So if you want to tweet that to us. As long as Tammy keeps office. As long as she keeps office. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to have that. I don't want that one. <laughs> All right. Purpose, process. People. Not purpose. Not place. process. People probably at the top of that list yeah. and purpose. And place. And place. Which is the office. Yes. They all exist together. They do all exist together. A welcome panel. So how do you react to those seven things I just spouted out in terms of managing change? Did anything strike you? Anything that you think people struggle with more than one of the others? Or any that surprised you on my list? I think people probably struggle the most with visualization, kind of on the bookends of this and creating the future. I think we maybe in our humanness, go directly to what could go wrong. Why might this not be good? Even as you started to talk about change, and we've endured a lot of it over the past couple of years, I noticed I start you know, to breathe a little faster because you're thinking change, change, change. But then there's a quick invigoration from that. So in my experience, I think people struggle with kind of the front and back end of that process you laid out. And Tammy, I would add to that, I, I don't think people when I think about visualization, just struggle with it, they don't do it. So the visualization that just happens to you if you react to it tends to be negative. People don't use visualization as a practice, which means I'm going to imagine it going well. Like what, before I give a talk, if I'm giving a speech, when I'm backstage before I start, I'm going to visualize it going well. I'm going to visualize the audience responding. I'm going to visualize people connecting with me. And that tends to bring it out. Some people visualize really bad things before they speak. And then they wonder why they're afraid and they get out and they can't talk, right? So visualization, I think, is can you control it? Can you, can you get a hold of it? And I think it's a practice. I don't think most people do it. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think it does. It is a practice. It's also a choice. And even asking yourself the question, what could go well here? Why might this be good? And going down through that list and writing it down, I think you said, which is important. Because if you just do it mentally, it's probably not as solidified in your thinking. You're very true. If I go back and look at things that I write down that I'm grateful for or the people that I'm grateful for, I don't remember those little incidents. We're all on that list, right? Of course you're yeah. on that list. Just it's make mostly sure. about aim higher. <laughs> you know, what happens is you magnify some weird comment or negative thing and you just forget the positive in the mix of things uh, often. At least I do, I will say. Not that I'm focused on the negative, but you just, you just do. It's just a, it's a weird thing about the brain. I really like the comments about the process behind visualizing. I find in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, running a business, it is very hard to create a space where the people you work with feel comfortable undocking from the next thing they have to do and letting their minds roam a little bit and play a little bit and not see the ideas as creating additional obligations tomorrow or next week. So creating that space and giving people permission to operate in it and seeing it as separate and distinct from Drew's world in operations is critical. And I'm not sure how well we do that all the time. Because it's not a deliberate practice. We don't but think of it. We don't. But as you were talking and Tammy was talking, I was thinking, wow, 
it would be interesting to sort of think through. And, you know, you could say brainstorming and don't edit your, you know, but it's more than that, isn't it? Being able to see a future and then begin to connect yourself to it. It is. And, and it links with the last one of creating your future. If you don't visualize that future, the future that you create is not going to be the one you want to be in. Yeah. You can only create what you can see. It's so important. Yeah. And I think it's important individually. And I think it's really important for leaders to visualize that and to speak into it. So you're going through a major change in, say, an organization. Can you help them see it in the way you see it? Can you create the vibrancy and the excitement around it? And I don't mean overselling it. I, I don't mean in a false narrative. That, I think we sense that and get tuned out and turned off. I think people see through that anyway. Yeah, in this day and age, for sure. I see that and, and I don't like it. I don't like the overly you know, rosy picture. But on the other hand, if nobody's out painting what that could be, then you're not getting there. You're not getting there. Well, and the why. Why are you doing it? Why is it important? Why is the change necessary? It doesn't mean everybody's going to agree, but I think, I think being able to effectively communicate that, get a coalition of the willing on board. I think as you look at the seven points you laid out, we're all going to gravitate naturally to some of these, like just, just with our different personalities, our different strengths. So I think if you can be aware of where your gaps are, I'm going to be great at planning. I don't have a practice of gratitude. I need to either fill that myself or have a team that is embarking on this change that can complement each other, I think is so important. I think people do get stuck, too, in the kind of the middle, the planning and scenario piece. I've seen teams get stuck there where they just keep iterating on what if, what if, what if, what if. And they think that if they don't have every answer to those questions, they can't move forward. And I do think it's important to be able to kind of step back and force people into, force ourselves into what could go well? Why might this be a good thing? What would it look like if it was a good thing? Well, or have the take action person just completely lose their mind in that meeting, which yeah. is what I would do. <laughs> then there's that. <laughs> well, there's well, that. Uh, yeah, it, and you need it all. You yeah. need all those perspectives. Yeah, you, you do. I, I have seen people get stuck in a scenario planning exercise, unable to move on, paralysis, analysis. I have seen people taking actions without thinking it through. Right, and having right. It can go things. both ways, yeah. And I think, Drew, your point about the team and filling in different parts, gratitude or, or what have you, whatever your, your strengths and weaknesses are, is really important. And it's important to know your role and to step into it and to have people who feel confident and emboldened to step up and say, okay – we're stuck here in this contingency planning and we could spin our wheels forever. I think we only needed the 70% answer on this. And so I want to I want to call this and say I think it's time for us to move on to this next step and we can always circle back, etc. And you'll have somebody saying, "Well, no, because this," but you'll have to you'll have to push through that. And I think the leadership role as you look at these seven that I came up with is to call it and to move forward. Otherwise, people will be stuck. You know, somebody else could be stuck on visualization of all these changes, and it might be fabulous. You might be in a whole virtual reality world, but you at some point need to go back and say, well, we also have to do this in reality and move forward. So it is good. And how you get the team on board with that is interesting, especially if somebody goes off too far. I often say there's, there's one person who, who might on a team be coming up with all the reasons why it won't work, and those are valid, and you need somebody to do it. You don't need them to do it too early. 
So you want the idea to take off flight and then say, now's the appropriate time to say what's wrong. Because if you kill it too early, it never lifts off. But that's a team management thing if you have somebody like that on your team. Uh, you're making me think about the team composition in cases like this and looking at your list and saying, okay, who can we include that's going to be good at visualization, good at planning, good at scenario planning, and pulling those people in at the right points. You don't need 10 of those people in one category. You need some diversity. And it's it points out the importance of diversity as well, diversity of thought and, and perspective. And if you're old, does it bring Richard Simmons to take care of your health? Does that now you're dating yourself? I yeah. do know I who that, that is. <laughs> I do know who that is. So yeah, each one of these. So how do how do leaders how about a leaders initiating change? What are some of the ways change leaders kind of make it happen? and initiate change, bring it to the floor, start it out? What are the different ways? One of the things that I might do, for instance, is throw the big idea out, let people sit with it for a few days, and then come back and do a follow-up session with more detail, with more nuance. You know, Some people say, oh, have that already up front. And I deliberately don't want to do that because if you do that, people won't hear it anyway because they're so focused on the headline that they cannot get into the body of the article because they're so focused on the situation, how the change affects us, right? So if you announce a change as a corporate leader, as an organizational leader, people's immediate response is, what does this do to me? How does this affect me? Does it, now, if it hits paychecks and compensation, if it hits work location or process, if it, my boss, my teammates, you know, there's a hierarchy, the greater that is, the less likely they're going to hear anything else. So you have to, I think, let it sit. So I think for me, initiating changes, announce it or talk about it, give a little color, but let it sit for a few days and then come back. What are some other ways or comment on that in terms of leaders initiating change that you see effective or not effective? I love what you're saying about staging the communication and understanding at the outset that it will need to be communicated multiple times and in different ways uh, that allow those who are hearing the change to process it, internalize it, and operationalize it. And everybody does it differently. Everybody does it I differently. I like the multiple forms of communication. Yeah. It can be frustrating if someone doesn't listen in or watch it or, or participate. I find that you know multiple communications is important. And when you're doing it internal to external, you have to think about how do I get them to listen and the noise that's out there in the world. It's sometimes frustrating inside an organization if you've gone through all the effort to put something together and they literally just don't tune in. And then they take pot shots out of it or, or ask questions. I think it makes ex exposes them in a bad way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because you, as a leader, you it's impossible. You will not reach everyone. You will not, you will not give the perfect communication to every single individual in the way they like it in the form and fashion. So you've got to do what suits your style, do it transparently and fairly and move on. I, I mean, you just can't do it perfectly. Well, Drew, you mentioned something earlier too, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but engage the willing. Identify those people that you've given maybe, Skip, you do this a lot, at least with me. You'll say, I think this is where we're going to land. I'm not sure. It could change. Think about this. Just reflect on it. I tend to be action-oriented, so I need that. Just don't do anything. Just think about it. That's okay to do. But as you're thinking about it and as you're beginning to plan, pulling in those people who you know 
can quickly move through it and who are willing and who are adaptive, I think that's really important yes. because those additional voices will help clarify for others. They'll bring others along. That's really good. And, and engage the willing, engage the people that fill in the gaps, talking about different ways to initiate change. Looking for those bright spots, I think, is really, really important. And not just who's going to block the change, but who will facilitate help be additive. What are some of the reasons for change failure? A lot of research on that. I think communication is one, not communicating frequently and often, not answering the why question, underestimating what you said earlier, Skip, around emotion and resistance, trying too hard to win over all of the skeptics. It's a bit of the bell curve in life. So you have those people on the front end who, I love change, I love change, bring it on, bring it on. That's a minority. Then you have a range of people in the middle but we tend, I think, sometimes to pay almost too much attention to the skeptics. We need to listen to those voices because there are elements of things that will affect everyone, but you won't win everyone over. No, you won't. And I've seen those reasons for failure and a lack of alignment. I think we look at people alignment, you look at process alignment. You can't announce a major change if you don't have systems that support it thoroughly over time. It can't be perfect exactly on the right time and all of that, but systems I think is important. I think uh, work culture. I mean, I think if you have a toxic culture, like culture isn't just a buzzword that people use. Like if you don't have a solid team in place that can honestly debate ideas, and so you say, you know, I'm going to throw this idea out. If you just have a team full of yes people, maybe your idea is terrible. Maybe half the room knows it, but if you're not allowed to say it, Bad things are going to happen. Big reason for change. And, and so really understanding how does the team work? Can we speak honestly with each other? A lot of companies can't. I think that's a critical point. And I know, Skip, you've said this in the past. If the, if the executive team is fractured, that gets magnified as their communication filters through the organization. So I think it is critical to have a team where candor is prized respectful candor is prized, and you can have disagreements in an open way, work through them. And then when the team lands, the whole team has to land really and stay together. True. A fissure at the top of the organization becomes the Grand Canyon at the bottom of the organization as it, as it goes through. I also think a lack of sponsorship in the organization. So it can't just be top down. Change that really takes root is who are the people who are sponsoring and engaging and sustaining that in the organization and not just a memo and edict issued from above. It's actually, this is something that people have a passion for and you find those people who are going to carry it through. And then in the organization, you've got that muscle where the organization can implement change. And I think, Tammy, you were talking about this earlier. So we've done this before. We know how to do it. We know how to manage change and can measure it and then adapt. So we don't always focus on the people who are are the naysayers or the negative. But Tammy, you talked about having, you know, they may have an undue influence on your mind at some point. What about someone who just relishes the resistor label? Like, not only am I a resistor, but I relish the resistor label. You know what I'm saying? I'm a dissenter and I love it. I'm a it. dissenter yeah. and I have the right to voice my opinion and this is wrong and blah, blah, blah. I think you should help them go to another company. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. that's We all have our different approaches, I guess. 
<laughs> Drew doesn't lead HR, <laughs> FYI. No, but there's I... No, there's no people. <laughs> <laughs> Those peas, you're not getting them. No, 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 it's the reason I'm in my There, mind. There is a place for that, for sure. I think you do have to listen initially to determine, are they a dissenter and firmly entrenched and will not move? What is their past pattern of behavior? Have they been able to successfully... You know, sometimes your biggest critics become your biggest champions, And that's true in customer service and experience. It's sometimes true in organizations and in groups. But if someone persists and says, I will not move, I will not move, they're making a choice. And that choice may be to the detriment of their career in that organization. I think it's important to understand you have to give people the chance to mourn, right, and vent and whatever, right? It depends on the scope of the change and then get over it versus I'm perpetually and forevermore going to be miserable and unhappy. I mean, there's a difference. And it's in the beginning of the change, it's not always clear. Which is it? So you got to give people a moment and then say, okay, that part's over now. Let's go. Yeah, there there are definitely stages to the process at an individual level. So I think as a manager, helping your team might go through change, it is important to take that one-on-one for your direct reports, et cetera. Let's, let's talk about it. I want to hear your point of view. But then- the change has been announced or we've made a decision as a team, it's time to move on. Can you do that? If you can do that, and most people can do that, great. If you can't, let's talk about how you learn that skill because it is a skill. And sometimes the dissenter has a nugget of something that we have to pay attention to. So as a leader, it's sorting through that and kind of not ignoring the personality, but setting the style and personality aside for a moment to say, is there something in here I need to pay attention to? But you know, when someone just resists, 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 we have to help them. And if they won't be helped, then, you know, there's a different step. Yeah, I agree. Are you pointing out flaws? Are you pointing out things that can we can improve? Is there value here? Or are you just stone cold against everything, no matter what happens? I like dissenters. I like to have different voices. I love debating people. I love what I can learn from that. And we'll often change positions or modify things based on what I hear. But it is important to identify, you know, is this person just relishes being in that position? You have to decide, is that right for your team? Is that person influencing the whole team negatively? Drew, I think your point about, you know, maybe let You don't want to poison on. the well. Yeah. yeah. If, they're, if they're actually just a, you know, cancerous attitude versus that they're just voicing things that they're really genuinely concerned with. Back to, you know, I'm a scenario planner, maybe. That's, that's uh, what it is. And, you know, it's also, I think we have to be careful as senior leaders, as you go through an organization, oftentimes a senior leadership team will wrestle with something for six months, and then they announce it, and six minutes later expect everyone to digest it and fully be on board with it, and you know, not realizing that, well, you've gone through this process, and you have to give people that time. So let people wrestle with it. If they're resisting initially or whatever, that's normal. You know, that's natural. But if they're relishing that, res- I resist everything you do... That's different. That's a different scenario. So I, I think I think that's that's uh, interesting to watch. So the other one I would I would watch out for is, and I say this to individuals and leaders, is venting. Really watch out for venting. So I hear this. I'm only venting. So be careful with that. Now, am I saying never vent? No, I'm not. There's a time and appropriate place to vent, and doing it is actually cathartic. It's very healthy. I encourage it. But you don't want to live in the venting mode and never let it go. So venting means I let it go and I move on. Not 
I'm living with this and I'm venting. And then the next day I'm venting. And then a week later I'm venting. And a month later I'm venting. And six months later I'm venting. That means you're just toxic, right? There's a difference between venting and being toxic. So people do need that. Also, if someone's venting publicly or in a big team versus if they're venting privately behind closed doors. So venting privately, fine. Venting among a small group of people who are wrestling with something, maybe fine. Venting broadly, probably not fine. Like to somebody you don't know even, like personally know. Do, do you really know this person that you are talking to, writing to? I think that makes a huge difference. If it's somebody you work with day in, day out, you have a good established relationship. I mean, my team will even tell me, I'm venting. Do not write this down. And I'm like, okay, I'm not writing this down. I'm just <laughs> listening right now. But if it's a complete stranger, you don't know, are you always like this? Are you never like this? What are you doing right now? It, it doesn't It doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. Be careful with, with venting, I, I would say. How about this last one? How do leaders best sustain the change after they roll it out? How do you sustain it? How do you sustain the momentum? For me, that goes to how you're operationalizing the change. So have you created a project or a set of projects? Do you have clear milestones? Do you have KPIs? Are you periodically measuring the impact of the change and then communicating that? You want to define KPIs for those who don't know? Key performance indicators. So what is it you're trying to accomplish when the change has been implemented? And then do you have a way to track that progress and communicate the progress? Or if you're not making progress, do you have a way to pause and redirect? Do you have a change management process? Really good. Focusing on process and right. procedures behind it. What you sure can control. I think also it's recognizing when is the end of the change. Because let's just take like a system implementation because I love those. You know, the system goes live. It's in production. It's working. That is not the end of the project. It can feel like it. This is what we were trying to do and we've done it. Therefore, project over. You want to check in with the team months later, weeks later. How's it going? Is it doing what we thought it was going to do? Things like, I mean, really. Good key question. Yeah. It, did, did we make a good decision? I think there's a period for sustaining change that's important of learning and renewing and reviewing. And that often is missed because of what you just said. Whatever changes and not is launched and it's done. We don't sit there and really learn. And another way I think to sustain change after a rollout is clear accountability. Oftentimes, if you lack clear accountability, the change rolls out and you may think, well, I thought you did that and I thought you handled it. And so it kind of fizzles away because nobody's really been thinking about where is that sitting, you know, back to your process point in a way, but who isn't, you know, who? And you need Roll a name. Clarity. And it can't be 400 people or it's so d diffuse that nothing happens. So who is in charge or what small group of people is going to be held accountable for this? And when will we review that with them to see has this taken root or do we need to make a change? I think that's very important. I think celebrating along the way is important too. Just taking a moment to say, okay, what did we just accomplish? And what's ahead of us? And, you know, a good party. A good party. You can never say no to a good party. Celebration of milestones, of achievements. That culture, I think, helps sustain change as well. It, it energizes you for the next thing because you're not just always feeling the stress of something from the past, but you're enjoying the fruits of it as you go. So as I say, so much of success is about change, about preparing for change, executing change, driving change, sustaining change. 
We can be changing our attitude. We can be changing our goals. We can be changing a system. We can be changing almost anything, but change is definitely part of success and leadership. And if you have not become a master of change, then you're probably very young because the longer you live, the more change is coming your way, whether you like it or not. And so it's always fun to adapt to a new technology, to learn a new system, to make your brain rewire on something because it just enlightens you and makes you think very differently. So if you master change, you will certainly be somebody that can succeed and can aim higher. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.